Hi, welcome to The Green Room, a podcast taking you up close and personal with people from all over the entertainment industry, including musicians, actors and comedians and many more from all over the world. Presented by The Handshake Agency and powered by Yamaha Headphones, Tiana Speter, your host here with you. Thank you for joining me and for my Aussie listeners, I hope you're enjoying the slightly warmer weather as it emerges. People always tell me it's so cliche to talk about weather, but come on, I think we all are very much overdue a long, hot summer after the insanity of this year. And I, for one, welcome the fact that the humidity will start to make my hair look like it's electrocuted imminently. It's all about those small victories in this lockdown life, after all. Anyway, recapping last week's episode for a moment here, and it was a 10th anniversary extravaganza with revered Aussie rapper 360, aka Matt Colwell, joining me on the green room to unpack his groundbreaking 2011 album, Falling and Flying, as well as a look into his creative journey, new tunes, and a whole lot more. And we even managed to discover that 360 was once courted to be presented as the male Lily Allen earlier in his career. Uh, When I spoke to him, he wasn't super keen on that moniker, but I'm still holding out hope for a Lily Allen 360 mashup. But in the meantime, the incredible 10th anniversary edition of Falling and Flying is out now, and it does include some new little treats there adding to the already sensational album. And no doubt there's a whole lot more to come from 360 in the not-so-distant future. As for today's episode, I am joined by a musician who I and many others have grown up revering. Whether you know him as frontman for Hardcore Punk's Gallows, his work with Black Lungs, or his prolific output with Alexis on Fire, Wade McNeil is one of Canada's favourite sons in the heavy music genres. But amongst all the prolific creative output throughout his career, Wade has certainly traversed the absolute highs and plummeting lows that can come with the rockstar territory. But it's actually on his latest project, a solo project dubbed Doom's Children, that Wade has harnessed his personal demons, emerging with a debut album in hand in 2021 for this project due out later this month. Half written in rehab, half written in recovery, the self-titled Doom's Children album is entirely Wade McNeil's stripped to the core and rebuilt piece by piece. A snapshot of turbulence and redemption, Doom's Children emerges as a beacon of hope in the bleak narrative that came before it, as well as providing a slice of tasty psych rock goodness to spoil your ears. For today's episode of The Green Room, I grabbed a moment of Wade's time one Sunday night late in Canada time after an extremely long studio session, and together we chatted influences, collaboration, and the long-term plans for this accomplished artistic soul. Well, I have Wade McNeil here with me on The Green Room today. Wade, I'm beyond excited to chat to you today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me. My pleasure. Now, I know you're a man of many, many talents and obviously you are having a lot of things going on right now. You're a very busy man and a lot of people would be accustomed to your incredible previous work in a lot of bands, but your work has also graced film and video soundtracks and funnily enough, by total coincidence, my boyfriend actually recently made me watch the movie Goon and I actually was obsessed with the movie and then I was even more excited to find out that you actually had a hand on that soundtrack. So it was a beautiful little you know, everything coming into one fruition moment for me when I found out I was going to interview you. But I'll come back to that stuff in a little bit to risk making you sound like an overachiever. You are also on the brink of releasing the self-titled debut album for Doom's Children. 
Given the year and a bit that has come before all of this, how does it feel to yet again be on the brink of releasing a new album? Well, it's it's been uh, it's been really exciting. I mean, uh, as difficult as the last uh, couple of years have been now for uh, uh, for everyone, um, but uh, especially for how it's turned the music industry kind of upside down. Um, in the the kind of most positive aspects of it have been, I've recorded a lot of records. Um, it was a time that being away from the road, I was able to, I don't know, have a really, really creative period of writing a ton of music uh, with a lot of different people. And, um, and the kind of one piece of normalcy that uh, we were all kind of able to have was going into the studio. And so uh, the world is starting to slowly open up back again. And uh, um you know, going to start putting some records out and playing some shows. And it's, it's really, really exciting to, to be able to share all these songs with people. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the project leans into some more kind of psych rock waters, but what I found really interesting about it was it offers some pretty significant glimpses into a very raw and vulnerable Wade McNeil. Can you talk me through how Doom's Children kind of came to be as a project? I know the album was partially written during a pretty unique time in your life for lack of a better way to put it, like how did this kind of all come to be? You know, I, I think music, you know, at, at the risk of sounding cliche, I think music can really save people's lives. And I think it's saved mine a variety of times. And, uh, you know, writing these songs and putting this together um, uh, was I think a way for me to to work through a lot of uh, a very very difficult spot in my life, and then also to continue to work on the record as I kind of came out of the darker parts of that, and as I was kind of rebuilding things, and uh, when I was in a more sober and uh, mentally healthy space is kind of where I finished the record and where I started the record was being very, very depressed and uh, kind of not even, I don't know. I feel like the parties had stopped a long time ago, but it had been more of a, a like just a necessity of like getting through the day. And uh, so like, I felt like things were kind of falling apart around me and, uh, and I think there's some songs addressing that on the album. And then there's some songs uh, like after I got clean and uh, kind of started finding some more hope again, I think that are the kind of latter part of the album. And so uh, for me personally, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very emotional thing to listen to. And I think it's going to be a very emotional thing to play, but uh I don't know. I just wanted to be very open with it. And especially lyrically, I tried to be very direct as well and um, not kind of hide things uh, metaphorically or uh, in a more poetic sense. I just uh, kind of like brutally, honestly came out with them. And uh, I'm very, I'm very glad I did. I think it was a very good experience for me. Um, 
and uh and i hope it's it's that like very direct honesty that people can hopefully relate to it and take away from it 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 is interesting you say that because i mean not to say that your suffering in your experiences should be a catalyst for inspiration but to see you bearing your soul the way you do in art and there's still you know occasional tongue-in-cheek moments amongst the really heavy hitting emotions like it i walked away feeling really uplifted rather than demoralized and it's interesting you say that the album kind of does flow in that state of how your journey went so yeah i definitely walked away just yeah again not feeling inspired by what you had gone through necessarily but it just does have that amazing stirring sense of hope amongst all the dark so i think it's an incredible thing that you've achieved and i feel like we are so lucky to be able to have this insight into what you've gone through and it's culminated in something pretty pretty damn special that's for sure thank you very much for saying that <laughs> uh, very true yeah i don't know it's like i don't know if uh i don't know if good music or good art like requires suffering um but I think I'm lucky that I, I had a place to put that and was able to do something with it and channel it into something else. Definitely. And I mean, I know it does dive into some pretty emotional terrain for you, but there's also some like new musical terrain here too. Like in terms of what you were looking into, like from an influence perspective or from, you know, a stylistic perspective, were you gunning for anyone in particular? Like I've read names like Grateful Dead and Queens of the Stone Age bandied about in terms of comparisons. What were some of your resonating stylistic influences that impacted Doom's children? Well, you know, I've always loved uh, like Neil Young records and and Creedence and uh, the Almond Brothers and... Uh, and stuff like that. And, um, but I don't think I ever had any interest in trying to make a record like that, but it's certainly more where my musical interests are like lying these days. Um, and it's always exciting to do something new. And, uh, and I think that kind of ties in with emotionally and mentally where I was at. I was, I was not really listening to a lot of aggressive music i think life felt really chaotic at the time i began writing this and uh and i was listening to uh a lot of softer music you know like therapeutically and it was it was helping you know listening to the dead a lot was was uh was helping and so i think uh the concept of making something like that that had a bit of a kinder sound and energy uh, became something I wanted to try and chase down. And was certainly a process, but I'm, I'm really happy with where we arrived at. And I think we we managed to to capture some of those elements of the bands that I that I just just mentioned. And that uh, yeah, even though subject matter wise, things can be very mournful or somber. Uh, musically uh it can be very it can be very uplifting and uh i've certainly never done anything like that musically before and uh and it was yeah it was it was really fun to make mm. well on that note of making the album like it's such an immersive listen and i feel like that was pretty much amplified by how you recorded and produced it too like I almost got the sense that you were sitting there in the room next to me with some of the tracks. It's like you're playing their live, 
in the room. And I know you had some awesome additions with people coming on on instrumentals for it too. How was it working with like people like Daniel and Ian and Patrick on what would become the first ever Doom's Children album? Well, it was, um, it's, it's cool to hear you say it sounds like, you know, people in another room because it was very much recorded like that. Like we set up in Dan's living room and, uh, you know, I showed them the songs on like an acoustic guitar and, and then we'd uh, run the song a few times and, you know, press record on maybe the second run through and maybe it would be the third run through of the song or the fourth run through of the song, but uh, it was all recorded like that. It's all live. Um, uh, the additional stuff, you know, where we did some uh, some solos, they were all done just like in one take. Um, you know, one of us would decide where to do the solo and then we would do it and that would be that. And even vocally, I didn't really revise much. I just, I sang it a couple of times and, you know, that's the way my voice sounds. And even if that means a few things were flat uh, here or there, or, you know, I kind of like, like ran out of breath, I, I just kind of, I left it be. And so it very much sounds like that's the way the band sounds when we play. And, um, and I think in a, like allowing those rough edges to be there, it, uh, it, it sounded a lot more like, uh, the records from the 60s and 70s that I wanted it to sound like. Stick around after this short break. Wade McNeil talks band life, taking on an acting role, and whether or not we'll ever get a Wade McNeil official musical. Yes, you heard that right. That and more after this. Steve Bell here. I present the Handshake Agency podcast Rewind. Each series takes you back to a moment of musical heritage as we present oral histories about great albums of our time from the people who made them. If, like me, you have a geek-like curiosity about your favourite artists, track down Rewind with Steve Bell at thepodcast.com.au, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite shows. I guess, too, as someone who has tried his hand at so many creative projects over the years and quite frequently more in a band setting with multiple members, do you enjoy, I know you worked with other people with this, obviously, but do you enjoy the more solo aspect that Doom's Children has offered in terms of actually writing and conjuring these tracks? I mean, there's obviously pros and cons to both sides of things and obviously you always have a team to bring it to life, but do you find yourself lacking this more solo stuff at this stage in your career or do you still love band life equally? No, I think uh, the most interesting thing about music and or just being collaborative with people or, or creative is is finding like-minded people and creating something together. Uh, you know, I've done some like acoustic tours, like I did so a few years ago, and uh, I just really didn't like it. Um, I like sh- like sharing in it with other people and. And uh, certainly, you know, these, these are very personal songs to me and they're, uh, and, you know, I guess it could be viewed as a solo project, but, you know, I picked the people that played on this record with me for a reason and their contributions are, are, are a large part of the way it sounded. And so, uh, and I think that's probably why I called the Dooms Children too. Like I didn't want to put out the, aside from me playing putting a fucking record out called Wade McNeil I mean I don't know I'm not going to put that on a long sleeve t-shirt and try and sell it to people 
And uh, <laughs> it sounds like I'm, uh, this sounds like a blues trio record or something. I don't know. So, uh, I'd still so buy I don't it. know. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I really, uh, like the thing I love the most about, uh, making anything is making it with other people. And this is a good, uh, opportunity to make it with people like outside the sphere of what I usually work on. And, uh, and, um, being able to work with Dan and Ian and Pat, uh, who've all made such varied records, um, was a real pleasure. Yeah. And it's obviously you've dabbled outside of these more, you know, the heavier genres, so to speak, and the stuff that you're probably more typically associated with. And I think interestingly too, like, as I touched on at the start, obviously it's not just the musical dominant band and solo stuff that you're doing. Like you've worked in film, you've worked with, game soundtracks and I guess in that respect like with the nature of world building and conjuring and establishing a fictional world it's obviously a very different way to create music did you enjoy the unique process with say like what you did for Far Cry 5 like you're obviously doing the arcade portion of that game is that again giving you a different collaborative aspect to your creativity yeah I mean it uh you know speaking to the the musical director for the game and the uh and the creative director and uh and yeah conceptualizing all that stuff and then um and then also trying to learn to write in a completely different way you know you're you're not writing songs or you're not writing albums you're you're writing uh this massive amount of music that exists in like three and a half minute loops by and large that uh is so dense with instrumentation in the way that the the game cycles through the levels and and pulls certain elements of your score out and um that was really that was a really really cool experience working on those video games uh and i'm sure like i learned a lot about songwriting from pushing it in a different direction and i know like uh yeah i used some of that when i probably you know worked on some films and use some of the things i learned on the films on the records i made and um yeah i don't know i think like it all it all in, informs the next project i work on and it's nice that they it's nice I'm, i feel good that i'm able to work on so many varied things and uh yeah it's just an opportunity to try new things and to learn new things and and I think at the end of the day, it's like the next project I work on benefits from it. Absolutely. And it's interesting seeing like, I am a horror wolf, so please don't judge me. I haven't seen random acts of violence because I'm like secretly 10 years old and scared of everything. But I read on IMDb that it was your first ever acting role. Is this correct? Are you officially got this extra string to your bow? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm an actor now. Uh, <laughs> what a nightmare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> please uh, I mean, please like, go the, on the, the director was happy i mean they put me in the trailer for the film so i must have done okay but i i've i've never been more stressed out about anything i've ever done <laughs> please please tell me for someone i mean i feel like i have to watch it now but what was the role please tell me i played a, a radio host that was uh interviewing the creator of this graphic novel that's based the graphic novels based around this string of killings in upstate New York. So I was having the creator of the novel on my radio show. 
um, under the guise that I was like a fan of his, but I get him on the air and I just like absolutely eviscerate him because I had a personal relationship. My character had a personal relationship with someone that was murdered. And so, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I say what he does is like torture porn and he should be ashamed of himself and like, uh, just roast him. And, uh, yeah, it was like a very long scene. Too. I mean, I was probably talking, it was probably about nine minutes of dialogue uh, between me and uh, Jesse Williams, which is also the other thing, too. I'm just like rolling into a movie with Jordana Brewster and Jesse Williams, and I'm supposed to yell at Jesse Williams. <laughs> <laughs> just, and, casually. Uh, just, just a casual Yeah, just a casual morning <laughs> where I'm yelling at Jesse Williams. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I said, I think it all turned out okay, but. Oh, fuck. Yeah, if you make it in the trailer, I feel like, I mean, I don't want to use the word overachiever lightly, but I feel like, you know, after Doom's Children, we may be seeing a little bit more of you on the silver screen too, by the looks of it. God damn. (laughs) Well, I, uh, I don't know. I continue to work with Jay Baruchel and, uh, who knows? I mean, he, he convinced me to act in the last one. So we'll see what happens in the future. Yes, I'm exciting. I, I'm excited. I'll watch this with great interest. <laughs> and I guess like on the topic of everything you've done, there is so much variation in all your projects. I mean, you've gone from the punked up realms of Gallows, the blistering world of Alexis on Fire, and obviously you've had your stamp on works like Cancer Bat, Anti-Flag, obviously Doom's Children's the latest one, to name but a mere few. Is there anything creatively on your bucket list you would absolutely love to tick off at this point in time? I mean, considering you've done the acting thing too, maybe we need a Wade McNeil musical or something. I don't know. But is there anything? I feel like musical is like you get to get to musical when you're in your 60s. Yeah. So we'll we'll put that on pause. We'll hold off. Yeah, we're going to pump the brakes on the musical. (laughs) Uh, I think uh, I'd love to direct a music video. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that would be the next thing that I think is a reasonable thing for me to do that I would enjoy doing. Um, and, uh, be nice to try and write something. It'd be nice to try and write a book at some point. Yeah. I feel like that's the, that feels like the natural progression. I like this a lot and I feel like, you know, you could even have a little bit of a dovetail in it. Who knows something you write may turn into a music video. So this could be a way we can lead everything into each other. But no musicals yet, I promise. <laughs> yeah, it's music video first, book after that, and then probably a few more things that musical. Yeah, love it. So well, this is a good, good career trajectory. Now, I know you've been extremely busy, so I won't keep you much longer. But obviously, as things are starting to open up and you can look to do more touring and God, we would love to have you here in Australia. Hopefully it will be something we can have happen sooner rather than later. But considering I've dragged you onto the Green Room podcast today, a very important hard-hitting question. What is one essential item that you like to have on your Green Room rider when you're on the road? What is the only thing that I will actually be angry about if this is not there and it, more specifically if someone takes it? Uh, integral to my touring and playing shows is the show's over. I want a blue Gatorade. Oh, yes. And I'm blue sorry. is also an important part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm on time um, blue. Yeah, I don't know. I, I suppose that's about it. 
Mm. The rest of it, I could, I could be sleeping on the floor. It's fine. Just <laughs> but don't touch the blue Gatorade. I'm with you there. That's a very, yep, that's a very important one. And I concur with that one. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Wade, I'm so grateful to grab some time with you today and your incredible music. Doom's Children is just going to be getting so many multiple spins from me once again. And then obviously very far beyond me into the rest of the world. Um, I feel like it's a album I'm going to have to blast on a road trip sometime soon as well. But for the time being, congratulations on an incredible journey to an incredible release. And thank you for sharing your stories with us. Yeah, pleasure talking with you. And uh, hopefully I find myself in Australia sooner than later. Yes, I will be ready, willing and able the second we can. We'll, we'll swim you over if we have to. Okay, sounds good. Awesome, Wade. Thank you so much for your time. I hope your night's not too hectic. It's all good. Great talking to you. You too. Have a good rest of your day. Okay, bye. Thanks. There you have it, a bit of a peek behind the curtain into the world of an extremely talented artist. If you haven't already checked out some of the tracks from the upcoming Dooms Children album kicking around out there, definitely go and grab a taste. If nothing else, it'll get you dreaming of jumping into the car for a meandering and hazy road trip with the windows down. And the self-titled Dooms Children album is due out on October 20. As Wade says in the album's press release, it's about falling out of love, addiction, and lying awake at night wondering if you've made all the wrong choices. Doesn't sound like a recipe for an uplifting listen, but trust me, it's a stunning journey and it will definitely leave you feeling hopeful despite the world around us. If you're looking to kill some more time today, or any other day for that matter, you can catch up on all previous episodes of The Green Room, as well as a heap of other podcasts over at thepodcast.com.au. And long-time listeners will also know the draw by now. You can also catch video episodes of The Green Room if you search the podcast channel on YouTube or just type in The Green Room with Tiana Speeder. There is a whole lot of video mayhem going on there, so be sure to give it a look. If you like The Green Room, love may be too strong a word, but perhaps you might love it too. Why not chuck the podcast a like, subscribe or follow, all that podcast jazz. Or you can even drop me a line and leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. To close us out today, here's a useful piece of trivia. Useful, maybe diplomatic, let's say useless. The hashtag symbol, aka what you annoy your friends with on Instagram or that weird button on the old landline phones for my fellow not-so-youthful listeners, it's actually called an Octothorpe. So there you go. You can go and use that fact at the next party you go to and impress and or baffle your friends. Thank me later. And that is officially me done for today. I will catch you next time on The Green Room. Podcast from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Tiana Spita and Andrew Mast, with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson providing research. Recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Truick.